This podcast is produced by EnergeticCity.ca, your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To support local news and this podcast, go to EnergeticCity.ca slash join to find out more. Welcome to the podcast Secrets of the North, a podcast about true crime in Northern BC. I'm your host, Emily Gallen. And I'm the co-host, Spencer Hall. Our podcast may contain mature content. I mean, who am I kidding? It probably will. Uh, So listener discretion is advised. Hey, Spencer. Hi, Emily. How are you? You know, I'm doing pretty good for a Friday. Good. And it's a long week. Kate, what is this always about us recording? And then we end up talking about long weekends. It's always a long weekend. It's always a long weekend. Um, what are you doing this weekend? Uh, I'm going to a Thanksgiving dinner that my friends are holding. What are you up to? I'm, oh my goodness, I'm going to Grand Prairie to see a concert tomorrow night. And um, I plan on hanging out with the band after. Nice. We've already been talking on social media. So, I love that. yeah, um, I've got a game of charades lined up for us after the concert. Charades. Mm-hmm. Some say charades, some say charades. Some say. I don't think anybody says it the way that you just did, but that's fine. <laughs> no, nobody does. Um, yeah, and then a couple of Thanksgiving turkey dinners, and that's it. Bob's your uncle. Lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what my favorite part of Thanksgiving is? Is um, my butt? Yes. I am thankful for it. Every day. I know you are. Every day. Um, so is the world. My second thing is, uh, my second favorite thing besides Emily's butt, is Thanksgiving. You know, when you're you're trying to save room for the Thanksgiving dinner, mm-hmm. uh, where you're like, I want to eat as much turkey as possible, so I'm not going to eat mm-hmm. breakfast or lunch. Uh, well, don't do that, because I also do this thing once I get to the Thanksgiving dinner, because thankfully it has never been me having to cook it. You know, knock on wood, there's no wood in here. But, uh, but uh, anyway, so... <laughs> Um, so anyway, it's, uh, when, when you get there and the first thing people are like, would you like some wine? And I'm like, I'm never one to say no to wine. So then I'm like trying to, you know, I'm like, is there any bread around? Like I need to not get completely sloshed before dinner. Yeah. You gotta have a couple finger foods lying around. Yeah. Like, I mean, my family, my family is one for putting out oysters for any occasion. Yeah. No, I'm not. Well, I mean, A, it's not kosher, but B, I'm like, oh, you know. C, I hate seafood. Well, I respect I respect that my grandfather likes them. So, like, I understand that they're there. I will not eat them. But I will have some cheese and crackers. So before we get crimey, crimey, Spencer, mm-hmm. I think we're going to get a little drinky, drinky from our new sponsor. Our first sponsor. Our first, our only sponsor. Our single sponsor. <laughs> Northern Lights Estates Winery in Prince George, B.C. That's so awesome. Oh, it's a, I, was, I, did, a, I didn't know that we had wineries in the north. I did know about this one. Because my cousin lives in Prince George, and whenever she comes up, she'll always bring like a bottle or two. Um, and reading about it, they're it's 100% BC fruit and what? vegan. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and the best part about it is you can actually shop online, which I awesome. love. Me the too. future is now where mm-hmm. I can go to a website and be like, I need me some wine. Yeah. You can, I think, do membership subscriptions, and they'll probably, like, tailor it for you. Um, so check it out, www.northernlightswinery.ca. And we should probably just drop a link in our Instagram bio, and then people can It will on. be there. And then maybe one of these days we'll take a road trip out there before the snow flies. Yes. Uh, I'm into that. 
Yeah. For uh, this episode, we're drinking their uh, mm. Boreal Fizzanti because it's a nice bubbly. And yeah. we thought that to kick off this wonderful partnership, I'm very, very excited about. Me too. Uh, we, we popped the cork on this and, you know, I've been drinking it for a little bit now. It is delicious. It is so good. The only thing about drinking a fizzy wine while recording is I have to burp. I have to burp time. so bad. I know. It's uh, so bad. Anyway. Let but me it's tell so you, good. But can I tell you a little bit more about the Boreal Fizzanti? Of course. You can tell so, me anything you want to tell me about it. First off, it's delicious. And I'm not saying that because they sent us it sent it to us. Uh, you know, this wine, it's really light. It's bright. It's got a mixture of several fruits in it, which I'm sure you can taste. It's got apples, raspberry, and blueberry. Ironically reminding me of when I was a minor during Thanksgiving, my family would always buy those like sparkling ciders where they're like, you know what? The kids can't drink, but they deserve a little something. They do. They can do uh, it for the children. Do it for the, drink for the children. Uh, but the nice part about this is that it's alcoholic, so they're even better. Yeah. Um, and it's got some really nice, like it's got a nice aroma. I'm not usually one that's like sniffing my wine, but this one, I kind of, like when I drink, like as I'm about to drink, I like take a little, little sniff. I can definitely taste the apple in it. Like, it really reminded me of, like, even a fall. It's almost kind of like a cider. Yeah. A little bit, but it's but it's wine. Uh, so, you know, and it, the bubbles, it's got that perfect, because I find sometimes when you get those sparkling wines, they get a little, like, that's too much fizz. But this one, it's it's quite nice. Uh, and it's nice. Uh, it's got a nice crisp and clean finish. So if you want to pick one of these up for yourselves, uh, they recommend pairing them with a charcuterie board or some brownies. I'm always about drinking wine and eating brownies. You're making me hungry. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Uh, and then if you're more health conscious, maybe a strawberry and salad or a spinach salad with a, with a lemon vinaigrette. Mm. Um, anyway, thank you so much to Northern Lights Estate Winery. I hope to see you one day. Me also, you too. can get married there. Oh, my Should friend we get has married a, there? Let's get married there. Okay. Fantastic. <laughs> Both of our respective partners are going to be so happy about that. I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm already married. I'm actually, technically, so am I. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to take you down to uh, your favorite place. Are, Where's are you, that? Are you ready to go? You don't know your favorite place. My butt? Crime Corner. Oh, even better. Okay. Well, Emily's butt aside, welcome to the third edition of Crime Corner. On August 23rd, in the early morning hours, the Fort St. John RCMP were called to a residence in the city to deal with a large group of youth who were openly smoking cannabis outdoors. Nice. The youth are doing drugs, Emily. When have they not been? That's true. Um, okay, so frontline police officers attended and found five youth and one adult woman outside of the residence, all of which were smoking cannabis and exhibiting heavy symptomology of impairment a bag of cannabis was located in open view of the officers. So symptomology, basically, they're eating snacks and they're relaxing. They were eating Cheetos so loud. Mm, so hard. So bad. Mm. Uh, so the adult took ownership of the cannabis and the bongs that the youth were using. Uh, the adult woman was charged with supplying cannabis to minors under the Cannabis Control and Licensing Act. I can't believe I didn't point out the fact yet that there's an adult with these youth. Yep. You ever okay. just feel like kicking back and, and doing drugs with some youth? I mean, Friday nights in Fort St. John can get boring, <laughs> but not that boring. No. I, I don't think that I've ever been so bored that I was just like, oh, look, some youth. Why? I, I actually like, I prefer to avoid youth at all costs because they know, they know how to cut you to a point, you know, they, they know what to say just to ruin your day. I have children that are teenagers and 
Yes, avoid them. Yes. Actually, mine are pretty cool. They're, they're all right. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. They're pretty cool. Uh, okay. Uh, so <laughs> just watch. They're like the youth arrested. Yeah, exactly. No. <laughs> it's you. It's <laughs> me. I, I am the woman smoking weed with these children. Oh, man. Okay. Jesus. Uh, so Constable Chad Newstater with the Fort St. John RCMP says that while, yes, cannabis has been legalized for adults, it's still illegal for youth and laws need to be followed. Uh, the laws are in place to protect youth as their brains are still developing to give them of the best chance possible as they mature into adulthood. He's not wrong. Fair. Yeah, no. Uh, anyway, uh, all of the youth were issued violation tickets for consumption slash possession of cannabis and cannabis accessories under mm. the CCLA. Uh, so their fines totaled their fines totaled thirty nine hundred and ten dollars. Whoa! So almost four grand for oh, smoking weed. That's a lot of shifts at McDonald's, right? Yeah. Also, think about how much weed that would buy. A lot. Probably a lot. Probably a lot. I mean, not that I would know. Anyway, moral of the story, don't Don't, do drugs, kids. Um, Don't do drugs, kids. Don't do drugs, kids. It's bad for you. Especially think about your developing brain. Anyway, that's that's my crime corner. Okay, I loved it. Thank you so much, Spencer. You're very welcome. Have you ever wondered about the story behind why a monument in Fort St. John was built? Or who started the first hockey tournament in northern BC? Check out Voices of the Peace, a podcast from NJXCity.ca that answers these questions and more. Host Ted Sloan sits down with the people who make this city and region a great place to live. Go to NJXCity.ca slash voices to find out more. Check out all of our podcasts. Go to NJXCity.ca slash podcasts. So, Spencer, this week I decided to do something a little bit different, Mm -hmm. spice things up. Well, it is pumpkin spice season. Yes, it is. I'm actually going to regale you with a robbery from the 1930s. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Feel free to make fun of any of these criminals. I will because it's my job. It is. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start us off in Fort Nelson, B.C., way back in 1936. At the time, Fort Nelson was created to trade furs for the Hudson Bay and the Northwest Company, who were rivals at the time. Like Coke and Pepsi. Yes. Okay. Its land belonged to the Dene people, and they called their land the place of the people from the land of giants. That sounds like the best Swedish folk band I have ever heard. It's beautiful. According to a delightful article called The Fur Robbery, printed in 1938 in London, London, England. Wow. Fort Nelson was an, and I quote, lonely, unpeopled country far up in the northeastern corner of British Columbia. Damn. I mean, that's a sick burn. Also, I mean, it's been almost like, what, 90 years? And I mean, some could argue that it hasn't changed much. I would argue that it hasn't changed much. I haven't been, so I can't make a proper... I was about to say diagnosis, but anyway, you know what I'm saying. Uh, Mm -hmm. All right, continue on. The article goes on to say, Its river's source is scarcely known, though they are the chief means of transportation. That's like saying, I don't know where this highway leads, but it is the main form of transportation, so I'm just going to follow it anyway. Exactly. It's a life as a highway situation. According to Craig Bard from Small Town Histories podcast, Fort Nelson didn't even have an RCMP detachment until 1928, and it consisted of often one or two constables who would travel through, and the population was about 40 people or so, so you do the math. Okay, wait, so does that mean, is it the same two, or is it just like the RCMP would be like, okay, yeah, one of you get Fort Nelson this time. I am I did it last time. I think it's probably s- similar to somewhat of what I think it is today, where they kind of get posted where they get posted. Fair enough. I thought it was like a timeshare situation where you'd have to spend six months in Fort Nelson, and then they'd be like, and now you get to travel to the fabulous Okanagan Valley. 
<laughs> nice. Well, little did these constables know that in 10 years, they'd be busy trying to solve a case that involves a fur robbery, a canoe trip, and a bear. I mean, that just sounds like a fun Friday night. That sounds like a Wednesday for me. Ah, classic Wednesdays. I need to hang out with you on a Wednesday. You do. Wednesdays are definitely my good night. Wacky Wednesdays? All right. It was midnight in Fort Nelson, B.C. on the night of July 12th, 1936. According to the Prince George Citizen, a Canadian Airlines plane was packed full of furs to be transported to the fort. These furs were worth around $32,000. That's back then, though, Spencer. What, what would that be today? Okay, well, I don't. I would never turn my nose up at any amount of money just because, mm. I mean, 32000 in today's money still would pay off my student loans and water mm-hmm. my crops. Just mm-hmm. kidding. Um, but according to in 2013dollars.com, which is a cal- uh, inflation calculator, $32,000 in 1936 is the equivalent of $656,450.31, which is an egregious amount of money. That's wild. That's like, that's a nice house here. Yeah, no wonder why this was such a big case and actually like written about back in the day and still I can find research about it. Yeah, cuz now I feel like we, we nobody would write about that. Like, well, I guess they probably would, but like they'd be like, you know, it's 32,000. Like, mm-hmm. you're, that's a down payment on a house. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, that's like that's a legit house. So, Spencer, this shipment was actually a yearly thing and it was always expected each July. All right. And at midnight on that night, a group of two or more men I have conflicting stories, entered the trading post where the furs were being stored and surprised the three occupants. Tell me about those occupants. Mm, I'm going to tell you about them. The New York Times listed them as Robert George Gilliard, the bookkeeper, Nels Natland, and D.G. McMartin, two trappers. The group securely tied the occupants and jailed them in the cellar. D.G. McMartin is a fantastic name. I love it. It's so good. Well, let's let Gilliard set the scene for us, shall we? Take it away, Gilliard. Gilliard stated that 15 minutes after midnight, he heard footsteps coming up the stairs. The masked bandit stormed in, one with an automatic in his hand. Which, did they even have those back then? It's like one of those ones where they don't have to, like, put the gunpowder in separately. And they Mm. don't have to, like, load it like a musket. Mm. Just like geography, things I don't know about. I don't know much about guns, to be honest with you. I know they go bang sometimes. The bandits told the men to get dressed and give them the keys for the goods. So like good little boys, they did. They loaded the furs into the canoes that were already waiting for them on the river. And according to the Prince George citizen, there was an extra canoe that must have been stashed in the bush and retrieved that night. They came in two canoes and they left in three kind of situation. Okay, so first off... Stashed in the Bush is my new album name. Um, and, Obviously. Uh, I hate, you know, if you if you come in two canoes, you should probably leave in those two canoes. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't don't bring a third into this. Why bring a third into it? Why? You know what? Why you, not? You got to. Well, I guess. Yeah. The more the merrier. The more the merrier. Oh, yeah. Speculation is that there were many people on the inside pulling off this heist together. It was an inside job. Mm-hmm. That's what he said. Well, now what happens next, I'm going to tell from a short story I read about this case Ooh. that I literally thought was fact until I dig a little bit deeper and I realize that, oh, yeah, it might just be based on fact. Right. It's like when you go to a horror movie and they're like, based on real events, and then you read exactly. the actual events and you're like, that's not that scary. Yeah. Um, although this one 
did all all the information was uh, correlating to the research that I was reading. It just had this nice little added embellishment. Well, I mean, if you think about it, like scare, like what's scarier than the imagination? My butt. Yes. The fur robbery by Glenn Ward weaved a tale of three hostages tied together, stuck down in the cellar, while the perps got away with the furs. <laughs> the apple bottom jeans with the boobs with the fur perps with the furs with the perps with the furs they right. got the whole fort right. looking at their canoe they got two cops <laughs> they got canoes they stashed in the bush 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 i don't remember how the song goes but yeah i like it you get the idea it sounds like they magically untied themselves in the cellar in the early morning light and then they ran to tell their manager, Tommy Clark, that they had been robbed, that these furs were taken and they were stolen off in canoes. This manager, Tommy Clark, then runs to inform Corporal Clark, not the same person, which is very annoying, who was a game warden at the time. And it was kind of like a game of telephone tag. Can you imagine how annoying that would be Like through the company? They're like, tell Clark. It's like, Tommy? No, Corporal. Like, mm. like, that's just annoying. Yeah, it is annoying. Like, Come up with new names, white people. I say with my last name being Hall. Yes. uh, And my first name being Spencer. So very basic white person name. Sorry. Corporal Clark needed to pass on the information even further. The quickest way would be to travel to Fort Simpson by canoe to get to a government radio. So he does a reverse telephone and sends Tommy on the river to Nelson Forks, 110 miles down the river, in hopes of persuading the local aboriginals to take the message further to Fort Simpson. I'm going to call this person out and say that she straight up put the I word and it ain't indigenous. I'll tell you that for mm-hmm. free. Yeah. Um, so in 1936. Yeah. I mean, today still racist. 1930s still racist. Yeah. No, it, it, it'd be racist. Um, also, is this the river that they don't know where it goes? Yeah, this is. Okay. This is the white people not knowing where they're going and needing the local Aboriginal people to tell them where to go. Oh, but that but, makes sense. Yeah. Well, it would make sense. But, yes. you know, we can't ask for directions. No. Luckily, he was successful, and the news traveled to Edmonton, and then basically ping-ponged around Alberta and BC, and help was eventually sent to investigate. So, it's like screaming into the void, essentially, at this time, because it's not like you can call 911 and be like, I was robbed! Exactly. Right. They had to go all the way down the river to try and find the government radio station, to phone one area, and that phone... That person phoned another area, and then they phoned Alberta, and then back to BC, and probably, I think, maybe Victoria. And then they finally sent people, I think, on um, a plane to investigate in Fort Nelson. Also, what do you think the conversation was when they were trying to get themselves untied, like the three of them? They're probably talking about my butt. No, Okay. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, they were. Now, according to the Victoria Times, Game Warden W.L. Forrester and Constable Frank Cook were flown into Fort Nelson to start investigating. They used this plane to scour the area in search of the bandits and the fur. They even searched on foot for 30 days. And during the search, they found the canoe that was used in the robbery. Was that the two, one of the two canoes that they came in or the, the other one that was stashed in the bush? I think it was the third one that was stashed in the bush, which actually turns out to have been a canoe that was stolen from someone and reported stolen. Classic. Mm. I mean, they're not above using, you know, at least that, at least you know that the stolen stuff was getting used. It's worse when someone steals something and then just like, anyway, don't steal things. But at the same time, they did think that there were multiple people involved in this heist and that it was an inside job. Right. 
uh, I also love that they searched on foot for 30 days because mm. I was like, why are you looking for fur for 30 days? And I'm like, oh, right, because it's worth the approximation of about $656,000. That mm-hmm. would make sense. Mm-hmm. Only two men were arrested for these crimes. These two men were Bert Sheffield and Harry Corvosier. Ooh, nice. They were both trappers in the area at the time. And when they were found, they had $4,000 worth of furs on them. And they both claimed, I'll let you guess. I didn't do it. Not guilty. Yeah. I also love how they just like, they had $400 worth of furs on them. And we're just like, yeah, this is like, were they wearing $4,000? $4,000. Okay. So were they, were they wearing them like a, like a 1930s movie star? I doubt it. I bet you it was probably just furs that they were packing on, um, a horse and no, oh, I just I like. I was like gonna say camel. I like horse the, and camel. The horse and camel in Fort Nelson. Yeah, I mean they grew. Did you see the the news story the other day that we ran where it's a, a Fort Nelson couple like grew a banana plant and they ended up harvesting like two full racks of bananas. No, but I love it. It's one of it fills me with such joy. Uh, and it's just like yeah. So like essentially they bought this banana plant from their local grocery store and then they were like I don't know how to grow it but we'll give it a shot and then yeah. So he was like. Uh, the guy's name is uh, Yukon Souls, which, if you think about it, is absolutely the guy that would be growing a banana plant in Fort Nelson. Whoever these people are, they need to message us, and we need to perpetuate their banana grow up. I need to, yeah. I'm, I'm all about. First off, I want to, I want to taste the banana. I want to smoke the banana. You want, can you smoke bananas? I've. You can now. We're gonna okay. find out. Um, but anyway, so my favorite thing was like, yeah, we harvest them, or rather, it harvested itself because the the rack of bananas was so large that it broke off. Uh, so yeah, they had a lot of bananas. I love uh, that. Yeah, it was really cool. Anyway, um, well, yeah. these two guys. Yeah, back back on track. I mean, they might not have had bananas, but one of the guys that were arrested tried to establish a pretty interesting alibi. Okay. Harry He started keeping a journal. Which I think is adorable. And then in my head, it kind of goes like, Dear Diary, today I almost froze to death in Fort Nelson. Dear Diary, why is it so cold? Dear Diary, why didn't I pack a sweater? Dear Diary, put it in my butt. Classic. So get this. The diary entries were actually written on birch bark. No. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Just think of this. Oh, uh uh-oh, officer, I don't have birch bark from that specific day. Apparently, this guy would fill his birch bark and then throw it away. He's like, I have receipts. And then he just pulls out a massive birch That's bark. That's exactly what it was. That's amazing. When he was arrested, he had some birch bark diary entries on him, like a 12-year-old girl. But they still weren't the most reliable of alibis. Well, no, because he essentially wrote himself a note being like, I did not do a crime today. Exactly. He's pretty amazing. Dear Diary, I'm a law-abiding citizen 100%. I am writing to you on Birch that I obtained legally. Mm-hmm. Okay. He's pretty amazing. His wife, though, is kind of sad. He, she actually left him because the conditions in the North were too harsh, and I don't blame her. And he thought that, you know, if he stole these goods and finery, she'd be able to come back to him. 
that's sad. Mm. I hope that they found happiness in life. I don't if think not they together, did. then separately. No? Okay. Cool. <laughs> I don't Spoiler alert. Did. No. Okay. According to the Fur Robbery article, an award of $1,000 was offered to anyone whose information led to an arrest. Do you know how much $1,000 was worth in, uh, well, $1,000 in 1936 is worth now? Always. Okay, so $1,000 in 1936 is worth, according again to the inflation calculator, $20,514. Whoa. Like, That's bigger than any reward that I ever see given on a true crime podcast or for missing people in Canada. Well, I mean, that is a podcast. I don't know. Well, okay. So from the police. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah I, police. I usually see like, I think tops I've seen 30 grand, but. Mm. And that's usually from um, fundraising, like a GoFundMe or something. Yep. They'll add on to that. Like a give, send, go situation. Yeah. Yeah. So as it turns out, they didn't even have to wait because the bandits were actually going to come to them. Wait, no. So they they showed up and they were like, I have some information. No. I think what happened was they were waiting at the area where possibly the canoe that was stolen was found. And they were waiting for them to kind of come back. Okay. And as it turns out, they would come back to the constable who was waiting for them. Who's, uh, who's this constable? This is Constable Duke, who I don't know where he comes from, but all of a sudden in the research, he just comes up. He shows up and he's like, hey, I'm here. That's awesome. And also Constable Duke is a fantastic name. There's so many good names. In 1936. Uh, While Constable Duke was waiting at the fur cabin that he thought that the bandits were using, he waited and sure enough, the two suspects came back and he arrested them on the spot. These two were slippery little eels. (laughs) They went to court after arrested and they were actually found not guilty on grounds of insufficient evidence because, remember, they never did find the furs on them right so it's only the one guy that had four grand worth of furs because he was trying to win back the love of his uh his sweetheart there Mm -hmm, but Um, they didn't find the whole lot of furs right because that's only four grand it wouldn't be until over a year later according to the fur robbery article that an inquisitive bear would solve part of the mystery inquisitive bear is also a really great band name love that for you (laughs) a local man was canoeing down the river when he heard a commotion in the bushes So he docked his canoe and scrambled through the bushes to find out what it was. It was a black bear who was rummaging around a heap of something furry. Startling the bear, the bear ran off, and then the man saw that the heap was indeed a heap of stolen furs. What? Did they just, like, stash it in the woods? They're like, no one will ever find it here. Oh, my God. Well, when you think about it. I guess. I mean, you could hide anything in the forest of Fort Nelson now, let alone in 1936. Anything. 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 Like apple bottom jeans. Boots with the fur. Yeah. After bringing in more constables to investigate, they finally found enough evidence at the scene to try them again in court. So they went out to hunt for them again. How would you even do a manhunt in 1936 in Fort Nelson with two police officers? I'm not sure, but it does sound like they got away. Like they went to arrest them. Oh, no, they were found not guilty. Yeah, they were found not guilty. So then they were just like, all right, peace out. Yeah. Yeah. So they they got gone. And then they had to go out and hunt for them again. Now now that they had found the furs, they had more evidence so they could bring them back in. Right. What they did was wait around near the site where they found the furs. And they waited for the men to return. And the men did. And those constables, 
Oh, they were far too loud, though, and they gave away their position. And the bandits took off in the night. Do you think they were just like loudly having a conversation? Be like, man, I can't wait to arrest these two bandits. And then they're like, what? I can only picture a couple white men hanging around a campfire, regaling each other with tales of marital problems. Furs. Furs. Boots with the furs. They were like, we saw this lady. They're like... She got low. The whole club is looking at her. (laughs) The whole club, by which they mean the pub. The whole pub is looking at her. My wife hit the floor. Next thing you know... She got consumption. She was like... (laughs) 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 Nice. I don't know if that... Was TV a thing? Hold on, I gotta Google it. Yeah, yeah, Google it. Consumption, yes, in the 30s. I'm just Googling, was TV a thing in the 30s? Everything happened in the 30s. Doing some investigation. But I just can't uh, believe it. I love it that they're it waiting. continued to do so in the 30s. Uh, and okay. then uh, eventually it kind of subsided. I think okay. it says from 1895 to 1954, the more you know. Mm. Thanks, I'm, PBS. Support your public broadcasters, everyone. I do love it that these constables, they're waiting around for the men to return. They probably get drunk. I picture it. Of course, just, there, was, there was nothing else to do in 1936. Like, yes. what else are you supposed to do? They give away their position. So the bandits take off into the night. And... Seriously, I'd be over by now. Um, I can't believe how dedicated these people are to finding these furs. I would have given up. They've they've gone by plane. They've gone thirty days by foot. They found the canoe. They a bear found the furs. But they're so close, mm, Emily. Like so at close. that point, you've put in so many resources and uh, so much resources and effort. Like why wouldn't you see it through to the end? And if you're the government, right? They exactly also you know that's you're, all i have to say you're trying to compete with whoever else i don't know who owned these furs i forget um hudson bay company there you go they're not gonna give up i mean look at like hudson's bay is still around now yeah the other one isn't that's why the tenacious they never give up they don't stop and now they sell luxury items i don't know Anyway, this podcast is not sponsored by the Hudson's Bay Company, so we're going to continue. Now, apparently they took off the bandits with their horses and traveled like a million miles and eventually found a car and drove it to Alberta where they ditched it. This is too much for me. I kind of forgot the cars existed at this me point. Me too. I, cause, but also earlier you weren't so sure if there were planes that I still didn't, existed. I didn't know if there were planes at this point. And then I read there were cars and I was like, there were cars. It's amazing. I love this for them. I love the technology that is around, and yet still we're chasing two mans, uh, two men over over creation to mm. try and get these furs. Exactly, and I think their plan was to drive across the border eventually into the United States. But when they got there, the border was not accepting their applications to go into the states. They had to wait until the next day to come back and reapply for their application. Okay. Well, they couldn't wait that long, and they took off again, and they tried to hire a car to disguise themselves and go across the states. Do you think they just showed up with, like, two fake mustaches? And they Basically. They were just like, we are not the same people. That's amazing. When they tried to hire a car, the carman got suspicious, and he alerted the border control, which, I mean, is kind of impressive in itself, because if, like, I, I just don't even know if I would go through the trouble to report something to a border patrol. Maybe he didn't get paid. Mm, maybe, you know, there's probably more going on that we don't know. Yeah. So long story short, because good God, 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The two... There's been a lot of like back and like they've been like, huh, got you this time. Like I cannot believe how dedicated they were to get uh, getting away with these verses. But again, it is a lot of money as Be- we've covered. Yeah, because basically we got you. Uh-huh. We try you. Not guilty. Don't have enough evidence. Then we find the furs and then we're out to search for you again. We find you. Mwah, chef's kiss. But long story short, the two were arrested by Bruce Livingston and Fred Goff. After a foot chase along the border patrol fence. <laughs> yes, amazing, amazing. So, Cavossier was actually caught in a barbed wire fence. Oh, no, he got stuck. He got stuck. Oh, that's yes. In a New York Times article, it states, quote, The arrest climaxed. <laughs> Love it. Nice. After a 14-month search, during which provincial police have employed airplanes, dog teams and water transportation in pursuing them i like that they say water transportation and not canoes because that water Mm. transportation sounds like they put in like submarines and stuff Mm. like they were tracking them oh we don't know what they had that's true the two they had cars and planes we know that the two assailants were sent back to canada via train and apparently confessed to the whole ordeal okay wait so you're telling me that in 1936 we had planes trains and automobiles i i'm so happy that you're about to say that it's amazing <laughs> i knew it was coming and i love it amazing the reward money was split between the local aboriginal who helped find the furs the garage man who alerted immigration and a man who i have no idea who he is or why and i don't care but i found in my research and his name is cf beecher that's a great name, but also I thought you were going to say it was split between the indigenous person and the bear that found the fur. I mean, it should have been. It should have been. That bear was robbed. Duh. Both of fur and money. Apparently, the U.S. Border Control was not allowed to collect any reward money. Boo-hoo. Good. Mm. I feel like they probably would have been taxed on it anyway. I know, but Spencer, what what the balls was that? I don't know. That was just like, they did really well, and then they didn't. But also the police did really well, and then they didn't. So, like, I don't know. It just It's, like, classic. Like, throughout the entire... It sounded like a Three Stooges movie. <laughs> like <laughs> To me, I, I went into it thinking it was going to be this very short little clip. Mm-hmm. And then I keep uncovering more and more. And all of a sudden, the, there's a fucking bear. There's a bear. There's a bear. Like, literally a bear who finds the furs and helps solve the crime. And then gets no reward. It, can it get any more Canadian than that? I think if a moose had found the fur, then mm. yeah. But or, uh, there was also canoe involved. That's true. Um, no beavers though. Mm. Can't always have beavers. Yeah, that's true. I wish. I wish. Um, but that was that was a trip. I was not expecting. Yeah, because you were like, it's a fur robbery, and I was like, okay. Did yeah. not expect. There was a lot of twists and turns, and not just in the river that they didn't know where it went. They did not know where these rivers went. I'm like, isn't that like a whole thing? Like when they like colonized Canada, they had like cartographers like actually make maps. Oh, who knows? I don't know. But I just, I loved it. That was a fucking great story. Thank <laughs> it was you so good. much. It was good. I didn't even think it was going to be good, but then I keep reading about it. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Christ. So uh, let's do a little housekeeping now. Uh, I received an email from Susan. 
uh, Susan wrote me and said that she enjoyed the podcast about the comic book murders and sent it to her uncle, who was a boy in Dawson Creek in 1948, uh, to see if he remembered anything. And she thought that we might be interested in his response. He says that he enjoyed the account of the murders and he doesn't know who the young people were, but he does remember the judge in the particular case whose name was Kitchen. Yes. Uh, and then he does all re- recall. C.S. Kitchen. Indeed. Not related to C.S. Lewis. No. Um, it's actually C.S. Lewis, but he wrote it in his kitchen. Anyway, that wasn't funny, and I don't blame you if nobody left. Anyway, uh, the uncle does recall all the, quote, hubbub about banning uh, crime comic books. And then he says that he thinks that they staged protests in many parts of Dawson Creek around that time. So I tried to call the museum today, but I had, I had missed uh, the curator. So I will be looking into that further. Hopefully I'll have an update for you next episode. Uh, but I'm going to be looking yeah, through the newspaper archives to see if there was anything on that. But that does sound like something that should have happened. I feel like I would have also protested. Another update I had from episode one, The Comic Book Killers, was that Kilcarran, the town that we were talking about that he was heading home to, was uh, near Rolla. Yeah, it's actually like very close to Dawson Creek, which yeah. I mean, from context, we probably could have put that together. Uh, I also know that uh, Trey Lapachinsky, who is the co-host of uh, Before the Peace, also was just like, yeah, you probably should have Googled it. And I was like, yeah, probably. Don't tell me what to do, Trey. Yeah, you're not my boss in this. He might be tall. And he may be my boss while I'm working. But I'm but... recording podcasts. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. All due respect. Sorry, Trey. Mm, He's, he could crush me like a glow stick. Crack my spine. He really could. He really could. He's he did huge. order a toque, though. Oh, Yeah, I know. It's adorable. Actually, we've had a couple of people order merchandise, and I'm like, I think we should maybe just make a little store. I'm thinking maybe we should make a little store. A little, little shop. I feel like we could probably figure that out. Yeah. Maybe keep keep uh, keep tabs on us, Let's uh, do it. Grandma. Uh, just kidding. Yeah, but... Oh, my gosh. Christmas... Christmas will come up, and Grandma needs to get people our merchandise to share with the rest of your family. Absolutely. I'm thinking about uh, tweaking our logo a little bit so there's snow on the mountains. Oh, right? shit. A little, little Christmas merch. Maybe we'll design some Christmas <gasps> merch. I mean, we got a few months still, but we'll see. Yeah, I'm into it. Okay, cool. I'm into it hardcore. Um, so, Emily, can you give me a little taste about what we're going to be talking about next episode? Oh, next episode, I'm going to get a little bit depressing. Oh. Yeah, I'm going to go a little bit more serious. Okay. And tell the story about Kirk Morin. Right. Okay. Yeah. So probably not as many jokes this time. I'll try to dial it back. There's definitely, it. well, there won't be any jokes, obviously, about Kirk. Well, uh, no. No. And then, unfortunately, when when you get to listen to the episode, you'll know why we won't, why we might not necessarily joke about also about the killer yeah so it's gonna be a serious one probably not gonna be talking about butts as much mm, or at well all. or maybe before we get into the case yeah we'll, we'll get your because i know you have like a quota in your mind about how many times you're gonna bring up your butt always okay i respect it um okay you should. well uh make sure you tune in uh for that in the meantime thank you so much for listening i hope that uh you got uh something out of this podcast if it at the very least a thousand dollars in 1936 yes please mm-hmm. uh inflation is just wild all right emily where can uh can, where can people find us on on the instagrams people can find us at secrets of the north underscore podcast or in my butt okay uh my personal instagram is i think it's like fall 97 there might be an underscore in there i'm frequently tagged in the secrets of the north podcast so if you want to see pictures of my dog go for it and if you want to follow me at e to the g with two e's 
Yeah. So there's a well, there's one e. I'm making this more complicated, but there's one e and then two the and then g within two e's after the g. If they really want to follow me enough, they'll find it. Yeah. Not that there's anything worth following. My hashtag is mediocre content. I mean, you just uh, well, let's talk. You just got back from Vegas. I did just. Oh my god, I got back from Vegas. Was it was it like a everything ha- anything that happens in Vegas stays in Vegas situation? Or? It was wild. It was an amazing three day festival. I went and saw like over ten of my favorite bands. It was amazing. It was plus thirty five degrees Celsius. Gross. I we I ended up meeting people who my friend used to sleep over at their house. That's so weird when you find somebody yes. like from a place where it's you're amazing. from, but like in a completely different place. Yeah. I was like, hey, I'm like, beep, 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 boop, whatever your name is. I'm <laughs> like, these guys are from, they're from Cranbrook. No and way. then she's like, oh, do you know so-and-so? She's like, that's my sister. She's like, I've slept at your house. Nice. I had sleepovers at your house all the time. That's so cool. Yeah. And then I ran into them at the airport on the way home too. That's, oh, that's funny. Yeah. That's good. Uh, we're Instagram friends now. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Well. Now that they listen. No, hopefully they'll 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 realize the error of their ways. Yeah. Just kidding. All right. Uh, well, thank you so much for listening. Uh, looking forward to being in your uh, your your eardrums soon. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say. Bye. Love you. Thanks for listening to this EnergeticCity.ca podcast. EnergeticCity.ca is your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To help keep us independent and to support this podcast, go to EnergeticCity.ca slash join.